Test. Check. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you. Let's give Brian and Shoshana another hand for this amazing summit that has happened today. I have, uh, I have learned a lot. I have attended the panels, and I have stood up and asked questions, and I've taken lots of notes. And so I'm very uh, honored to be able to speak on a panel. And they asked me to play a song, uh, so thank you for asking me to play it, and I can share this music with you. This is uh, off of my, my new record I just released, so it's nice to uh, get it out in the world a little bit. Right? <laughs> I'm sure they're here. I'm sure there's like 12 of them here. <laughs> I don't fully understand how I'm supposed to make a plan with you A part of every choice you've given me I only voice I want you to make up in my mouth Without the help of me this time You decide you're better off just letting go and giving up Tell me not and let you be I leave tonight and you won't see me go You're giving me too many signs I can't read between the lines you know All I want's for you to be strong enough to drive I'll sit back and ride I want us to Your heart remaining, no one else but me to blame You don't share much anymore, you kept me locked outside your door Wouldn't huff, I wouldn't huff, I couldn't blow down hard enough I fell down onto my knees and you cried through the door Please just go Well I knew that you meant to stay convinced you That the pain would help us grow I'm not sure we'll ever stop Pushing through the gears, grinding through the tears Shifting down our fears, but we can't get fighting our own The road ahead, the paint is what there's nothing said. Driving through with no aggress. But we can't keep fighting, I won't keep fighting. Can't keep fighting, but now that's in I can't stop loving, I won't stop loving. Can't stop loving the fight. We can't keep fighting, I won't keep fighting. We can't keep fighting, the that's in I can't stop loving, I won't stop loving. Can't stop loving the fight. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Let's start the panel, shall we? All right. Woo! That was great. Thank you. Now, we are really lucky to have all these folks here. So, I mean, we got John Chanel, one of the most clued-in reporters on the beat. Totally. Emily White, who is just... She just joined the board of the Future Music Coalition on top of everything else, and we're thrilled about that. We've got Elliot Kahn, local attorney, who is also were you a guitar player in Shauna Na. Oh, my God. Ari Herstand, great writer, great musician. And Ethan from Bandcamp, who how much have you distributed to musicians now? 
70 million. And, and, and how much more every day? Well, uh, th- it's uh, 3.1 million a month. So, a lot. So, I'm really thrilled about this panel, and uh, thank you guys all so much. Okay, the only thing worse than competing with uh, conference people who are hungry waiting for lunch are thirsty people waiting for happy hour. So we're going to try to <laughs> keep it interesting here. How about with a great musician? That's hard to compete with. I was going to say. Oh. Yeah. And thank you, Ari, for reminding us while we're all, why we're all here because we love music. Uh, so, you know, the title is What Should the Price of Music Be? Uh, If you ask my 15-year-old nephew, he would say, why would anybody ever pay for music? Um, You know, if you ask anybody who is a subscriber to a streaming service, it's, you know, the price of music is $10 a month. Uh, If you listen to terrestrial radio, the price is zero because it's ad-supported. So what I want to do is give everybody a chance to introduce themselves, uh, just say why you're here, you you, you know, what you're passionate about with music, and then we're going to answer that question, and that should start the discussion, which is, you know, this was prompted by a blog post I read that there was a hypothesis that said the music industry has actually restricted growth of its product by through bundling and through other means. Um, extracting profit, yes, but maybe shrinking the growth, um, restricting the growth of the market, what it could be. So that's why we want to talk about what should the price of music be. So a quick intro and then do the intros and then answer the question. Thank you, Emily. Sure. My name is Emily White. I run a management and consulting firm called White Smith Entertainment. We're based in New York and Los Angeles and manage musicians, comedians, and athletes. I also run a record label with Brennan Benson called Ready Made and just launched a crowdfunding platform for athletes called Dream Fuel. Um, the, it's impossible to answer how much music should be without talking about the format and the context, and that's why there's a panel about it. So we're going to dig into that, and it's, it's not really something I can answer in a soundbite right now. Um, I'm Elliot Kahn, and looking out, except for Tony Berman out there, I think I've probably been in the music business most, longer than most of you have been alive. So I started off as a musician in 1969, um, put a band together in five minutes, five months after we started, we were at Woodstock, so it was just like a shot out of a cannon. And so I did it for about five or six years until I burned out, ended up going to law school. Um, I've been representing musicians and managing since 1984 or 85. Um, I managed Green Day for their first humongous album. I was the CEO of a joint venture label with Universal that died... um, Let's see what else. So I'm, you know, working now as one of the plaintiffs' attorneys in class action lawsuits against the two, you know, two of the three big label families based on uh, underpayment of digital download royalties. And I represent a lot of, uh, you know, small artists, record labels, publishing companies, and uh, manufacturers of mobile apps. So I don't even know where to get started about this one. So the record business sort of shot itself in the foot badly about 15 years ago when it really bungled the Napster situation. And uh, unfortunately, it made it uh, appear that music should be free, and we've been fighting like crazy ever since then to try and reverse that. So we've got a situation where revenues from uh, record sales and streaming is down 50% from, uh, from the peak. And there aren't too many industries out there whose revenues have decreased by 50%. 
Um, it's been a near disaster, and we're trying to dig out of that hole. Obviously, there's like a lot of really, really, really interesting artistic and technological solutions that have come up, and hopefully we can reverse it. Cool. Um, I'm Ari Herstand again, and uh, I've been an independent artist uh, self-managing my career since the beginning uh, full-time for over six years, and I, um, so I, I'm an artist, uh, I guess, well, I also, I also write the blog Ari's Take, and I started Ari's Take a couple years ago, initially uh, just to help other independent musicians um, succeed in the music industry and just learn how to navigate it because it's so complicated, and so I uh, basically trying to help independent musicians learn from uh, my failures and and things and my successes and various little victories I've had along the way and just um, so I've just started putting up blog posts of, of how to um, you know do very concrete things like book a tour or get songs placed on TV or something like that and and then uh, it just kind of grew into a, a bigger thing and and so now um, yeah but but basically I am an artist from the I would say the new age the new world of music I don't know. Uh, I didn't grow up in in the old system. I I didn't. I've never uh, had to uh, run everything by a label. I've always gone directly to my fans, and I've always um, I've succeeded and survived and made a, a good living as a uh, independent musician, going directly to my fans. So I um, I was kind of telling them earlier is that I have a, a different perspective on kind of how the industry should work, just because this is all my experience and sure I've, I, I know, I understand what the industry has been and where it's come from. And I've tried to learn as much about that as possible, but all my experiences is in this new world. So um, we'll touch on what, what I think it, it should cost in a bit. Uh, I'm, I'm Ethan diamond. I'm the co-founder of uh, Bandcamp, and I'm here because uh, I want to help artists succeed financially. And uh, for me, the price of music should be uh, whatever the artist wants to charge that their uh, fans are willing to pay. Okay, so Elliot, you mentioned uh, that the music industry blew the Napster situation. It's why do you guys think the uh, music sales, music revenue is going down? Is it just peer-to-peer sharing? Is it just you know a mistake in bundling, or is it just the consumer wants streaming as opposed to downloads? They want a ten dollars a month, and that's what it's going to be. Well, it's a, it's a combination a lot of a lot of factors. Uh, first of all, the the Napster situation really you know was just a hellstorm for the industry in that you know, records were horrendously overpriced um, and bundled, which is to say that you wanted one song and ended up buying you know, 12 or 13 for $19 when you really wanted one for $1.50 or so. Um, there's a bunch of new technologies that have drawn the attention of a lot of kids away from music. Um, when I was in my early 20s, you know, there were no video games, there was no cell phones, there was no Facebook. There weren't a lot of other things to draw my attention, so it was just focused on music. Um, so I think those are the, the major factors. Emily? Well, I, I don't want to dwell too much on Napster and kind of how we got here. And hindsight is obviously twenty twenty, but I was in high school when Napster was happening. And I remember going in my head thinking I would pay $10, 20 I would pay $50 a month for this service, because, not just uh, because CDs were so overpriced, but I could find every, I'm obsessed with Oasis, uh, rare Oasis, B-side, live track, you know. So that's something that the music, that we as an industry really failed on. We should have been monetizing that. Instead, we were suing fans. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say after that? Cause I wanted to comment on that. I'm a little sleep deprived. Well, I said there are also, there are a lot of other 
sub- substitutes for kids' attention that didn't I exist. disagree with that. I mean, of course, like, it's a very ADD society, but I, I think, not to completely generalize what you're saying, but a lot of times I hear people say, oh, people are less interested in music. That's not the case at all. <laughs> you know, like, we have fans that are more passionate than ever. I manage a 21-year-old EDM artist from Northern England called Fox Stevenson, and he just exploded out of nowhere with, like, 80,000 Facebook likes out of the gate, and we can't keep his fans excited and and energized enough. So whether it's jam bands or hip-hop or country, I I think people are just as passionate uh, about music as as ever. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, just to touch on uh, Napster, and not to dwell on that at all because we're way past this this uh p2p is, is killing the industry and and you know pirates are to blame and blah 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 um what happened with napster was uh yeah it showed um consumers fans it showed the industry what fans and consumers want uh they want to be able to access all the music and whenever they could and yeah similar to emily like i was i was so excited that i could find john mayer's earliest recordings from his coffee shop in like you know atlanta georgia i'm like this is incredible like this is amazing and it didn't exist anywhere else and so i wasn't using it to get legitimate albums and but but also really i think there was also a, a huge headache that went into napster and and what itunes showed everyone it was that it it gave an easy and cheap alternative to that it was a headache that dealing with Napster and Kazan and Lime uh, LimeWire and I was I was also in high school when it came out and and I tried to download a song that was labeled something and it turned out to be something completely else or there was static in it it was just it was a headache so when iTunes came out I'm like this is awesome okay this is easy I'm willing to pay a dollar a song no problem and now that we're in the streaming world I'm even more excited because like all right this is great this is everything right here and I'm happy to do ten dollars a month I mean personally I've been a, a premium subscriber since they launched uh, Spotify in the U.S. and I think it's awesome uh, both for consumers and as an artist because I can reach so many more people and um, I've you know I'm it's a new tool that I can use and I'm always looking as an independent artist for new tools to reach new fans. So the problem is because we as an industry sued fans it's hard for us to get back to my teenage mindset of wanting to pay $50 a month. (laughs) I really believe that you know, we're not here to replace income, and that's something that Ari and I are all about. You know, all my artists make wonderful livings, and some may be millionaires, some are not. But maybe the ones that aren't, if they're 25 or 30, they're really excited to have a career as a musician. So I think that's something to keep in mind moving forward. Like, our loss, our industry's fault, but how do we make sense of it? And also, it's not just recorded music. I mean, I know what this panel's about, but when I heard you know, about recording music declining, and this is such a disaster. I mean, all of my artists are songwriters. They all tour. They all sell merch. Some score for films. You know, they all have multiple revenue streams going on, so that's something to keep in mind as well, but I know that's not the topic today. Ethan, go ahead on uh, peer-to-peer. In other words, how we got here at this point with declining revenue. Whatever you want to address something else. Absolutely. (laughs) I just wanted to point out that I I feel like uh, one thing that gets lost in a lot of this is that fans actually want to support the artists they love. They get a lot out of it. It's part of the, it's part of feeling like you're a part of that artist's uh, career, part of their music. And, you know, on Bandcamp, um, we let you, uh, when you make a purchase from an artist, uh, let you leave a a note for that artist. And, you know, it's it's amazing and incredibly uh, um, encouraging to me how many of those are more or less along the lines of, you know, apologies for not even giving more to that artist. 
That's, that's the, mo- the most typical thing we see is people saying, I wish I could give you even more. You know, I'm a broke college student. I wish I could give you even more. And, and t- telling the stories of, you know, how, why it is that uh, the song means so much to them. And there are people you'd spend, you know, there's people who spend 50, 100 bucks on a single track just because they feel like that's, that's saying something to the artist about how much they love, you know, it means to them. I think to piggyback off of both of those points, um, that's an incredibly important point is that, uh, and I experienced this firsthand, I do a lot of um, living room concerts around the country and, and I see that, that I make some of the most merch sales when I'm sitting in a room with 25 people than when I'm playing in front of 500 people. It's, it's because of this like direct to fan personal relationship and I think because the industry sued the fans I, I remember having these conversations 10 years ago when i was working at a sub shop in minneapolis and someone was saying well i don't buy any music because i know that the artist isn't going to receive the music i love this artist but why do i need to give a big corporation all my money like i'm going to get their album for free and then i'll go buy a, a ticket to their concert but then i informed that i was in music business school at the time which like yeah but there are other songwriters who depend on that that money and there's publishers and there's that and all these other people and it's like oh i didn't know about them i don't know about the whole system i don't understand how the industry works and so when you really break it down and they understood it's like oh there's these songwriters who make all of their money on the albums that you're now stealing then then they felt bad but they don't know that and so you know this is a great relationship that that you know i use Bandcamp. i use it from the beginning is like you can have direct relationships with your fans and granted you know i'm an artist who um is a singer songwriter so there are not that many other people that i have to pay out so the amount of money that i need to make to make a good living is very different from like you know a, a rihanna or something like that when there's a zillion people to pay out so the Here's another question, which is, you know, the early promise of online music was the potential for unbundling. Um, Instead of having to buy a CD or uh, an LP earlier, I'm dating myself, you know, with one or two hits and seven or eight niche songs or ten niche songs attached to it, people could buy a download of the one song they wanted. Yet now, uh, most of it's moving to streaming services, which is essentially paying for the right to be a music consumer. And that seems to fly in the face of the early promise of the Internet. So I'm wondering, you know, is the Internet really going to change the music industry or has that sort of come and gone and we've entered this new phase where, you know, people are going to pay, you're going to have to pay to listen to music or buy music that you don't want in order to listen to the music that you do want? Well, it's, it's kind of all of those things. I mean, the great thing about streaming is rights holder I, I want to say artists but rights holders get paid every every time you play but um this word of bundling that's being thrown around to me it very like i i understand what you're describing but we bundle all the time we bundle merch we bundle tickets we bundle whatever the fan wants so when i'm thinking about our hardcore fans in kind of the one to five percent category we're bundling like crazy when it's kind of the more casual fan or just me at work listening to music, we're thinking about streaming. So as a manager, I need to think about having our music in all of those places so we're appealing to every type of music fan. Yeah, I think you're talking about a different kind of bundling, John. I mean, it used to be you had to buy an entire album to get one song that you like. Here, when you're talking about streaming, you're talking about bundling everything, every piece of music available. And that's uh, an amazing opportunity. So yeah, it's bundling, but it's it's glorious bundling rather than horrible bundling. I think. But if if it's if it's such a good thing, why are why are people spending less on music than they used to? Is the question. I mean, I don't want to flog a dead horse, but I think one of the problems is that people got used to the idea of free. 
And once, you know, once it's free, it's really, really hard to get back. You know, if you take your mega fans and put them aside for a second, with most people, once you can get it for free, it's hard to get people to get back into the mindset of having to pay for it. And that's one of the, uh, that's one of the challenges the music industry has now. Okay. I mean, they'll pay hundreds of dollars a month for cell phone service. They'll pay, I'm not sure how much Netflix is right now, but they'll pay a lot of money. And it would be really nice if more people would spend, you know, $12 a month for, to stream any piece of music that they might want to listen to. That's really a terrific deal. The cool thing about that traditional bundling that you're talking about being phased out is that the art has to be really great, so you can't really make a filler album. If you can, nobody's going to pay attention because they're just going to buy the individual tracks or add a stream to their playlist and things like that. So I think that's... Uh, kind of less of an issue now. Okay. I, I wouldn't completely um, I, I wouldn't completely accept that that no one is ever going to pay for music ever again. I mean, I think that sure we're in this lull for the last 10 years, you know, since Napster, but it's just because the the industry as a whole uh, they were really slow to catch on to what consumers really wanted, what fans really wanted. And meanwhile, while the the major industry, the macro industry, is is like floundering, you know, Emily's artists and me and, and thousands of other independent artists, we're thriving in Bandcamp. I mean, they're you know they've been making tons of money. It's just like there is a lot of money being made off of music. It's just you have to know how to actually sell to people, and you have to know what the fans want. And I I wouldn't discredit. I mean, I think. Uh, I think people are going to jump on stream. People are jumping on stream. It's been rumored that, you know, Spotify is almost at 10 million paying subscribers. I mean, don't quote me on that. They haven't come out with an official number yet, but that's the rumor that's going around right now. And it's like, I think people, maybe they will end up paying $10 a month or maybe it'll be $8 a month for streaming, but maybe consumers will, people will start paying for music again. We're just in this lull. I don't think that music industry is dead and that this is no one's ever going to pay for music again. I, I think that they can if you present it in a, in a nice package and you show them where the money is going to and you can, in the fan, you know, with the artists say, hey, listen to me on Spotify. I get paid every time you do that. You know, that maybe they will. Now, Ethan, your users are paying for music right now, obviously. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, can't claim to know that you know the music sales overall in the industry aren't de- aren't in decline, but I, certainly the way that people uh, buy music, spend money on music, is changing. I mean, when somebody supports an artist on Kickstarter and gives them you know fifty dollars for just the pleasure of knowing that they've you know supported somebody that's creating music they like, that's not you know that's not reported to SoundScan, right? And so uh, th- there's uh, and a lot of sales on Bandcamp. It's the same same thing. I mean, this isn't really the, falling in the sort of the traditional model of you know what what is a record sale. So yeah, it's uh, uh, as far as you know as far as our audience is concerned, things seem to you know sales continue to grow. So and I'm going to start with you on this one, Ethan. Um, and your obviously answer might be biased. I'll say in a good neutral way. Um, but does the internet? eventually disintermediate you know all these middle layers and eventually it becomes payments go directly from fans to artists i mean obviously you know there's a reason why there's been that the cost of music has been so much higher uh, to pay for distribution to pay for discovery which before the internet how did you discover a band you know a label would send somebody out to the hot clubs to try to discover them but do you think eventually more of online music goes to that model where fans are paying musicians directly or do we never really get away from all these other costs 
that allow for you know discovery or distribution or whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, I sure hope so that it goes that way. But right. I, I, I but think what, that um, what I think what might accelerate that or prevent that. From well, happening? actually, I think it's what it's what Ari said earlier is that I, it's up to artists to individually educate their audience, and that's a challenge I think that every artist faces. Um, you know, you want. Uh, you want your fans to access your music in whatever way you know is most convenient for them. But at the same time, if one place is more you know is, benefits you the most, I think you should be vocal about saying that to your audience. And I think I think Spotify made a, a huge uh, misstep when they launched here by being so opaque and not allowing artists, independent artists, to know what they were making and how they were making and where the money flowed and how that money filtered down to them. And because they were so opaque for so long then artists started speaking out against this service that could have been so helpful and that still can be um, really helpful for artists and, and really help, you know, help their careers. But um, now they've, they've, they've started to step back a little bit and they came out with Spotify Artists, which is now, I, I feel like the tides are turning and, and favorability is now back on the side of Spotify. But because they took such a, a major misstep early on, a lot of artists were against it and so they lost a lot of the goodwill of their fans. Um, but I, I think it's it's coming back, and yeah, it really does depend on the artists talking directly to their fans and saying, "Hey, this is how you can best support me. Go do this," and they'll do it. Also, just to clarify, Spotify. First, we should say streaming platforms and not just Spotify, because there's RDO and Rhapsody and Deezer and all these great platforms, and none of them are beholden to artists. And that's not a negative statement. They are beholden to rights holders. So, if you are an artist, if you are frustrated talk to your distributor, talk to your label. Um, and if you're really interested beyond that, own your own rights, and then you can get some more of this in- information directly. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that most people don't know, probably most people don't know about Spotify, is that the big labels own a major chunk of equity. And, uh, you know, when Spotify, you know, God willing for them, IPOs, the three big label families are going to make a lot of money. And... The chances of them sharing one penny of that with the artist is you know, slim and none. So when you're talking about streaming, I think you really need to distinguish Bandcamp from Spotify. I mean, Spotify is a great service, but it's not being particularly kind to artists. And artists right now are, unfortunately, the ones who are signed to labels are getting a pretty small piece of the pie. And probably even worse than what they were getting when... Uh, know when physical product ruled the roost but it's early and the numbers are low and the u.s hasn't really done the best job of bundling a streaming service the way they did in sweden so that's why the numbers are so high and itunes just or sorry spotify just uh overtook itunes in europe so everybody's got to give it a second and revenue yeah and also like you know, and I, I know this is what this conference is about, but don't just complain about these platforms. If you have a suggestion, you know, let people know. Because it's, to me, streaming is finally what I've been waiting for since I was that 15-year-old kid in Wisconsin. And I'm excited that I can listen to music all the time on the subway, on my phone. It doesn't have the rare Oasis Live stuff, but we're getting there. And I, I think it's a good point that, that don't just complain. Let's find an alternative if you're not happy with it. And I think, you know, I, I think it's worth mentioning, um, and it, this is going off of the direct-to-fan, um, uh, Jack Conti was here, and, and, and his service, Patreon, it, a lot of, it, it's very new, and uh, he was on a panel earlier. But, but his thing is, is um, 
for creators who put out regular content and uh, the their supporters can pay whatever they want every time they put out that content. It's, they don't force them to do it. There's no paywall. They're like, hey, I'm a YouTuber. I'm putting out YouTube videos or I'm putting out songs on SoundCloud or something like that. It's free. Now, whatever you want to pay me, you want to pay me a dollar per song, you want to pay me $5, some people pay $100 per song if they can afford it, because they know it's going directly to the fan or to the artist, and the artist is uh, saying that, you know, this is the best way to support me right now, and it's becoming, proving very successful, and it's showing that if you give, you know, fans a way to support you, they will. I, I know this has been touched upon, but... And this is kind of the panel. But there's no one answer. So when you're educating your fans, that's really, really important. Like I was with one of my athletes this morning and explaining this panel to him. And he said, well, I always try to buy merch at the shows because I figure that supports them. And unfortunately, I bummed him out when I explained, well, some artists are in 360 deals. And sometimes that money can, you know, go to a major label if that's what you're looking to not support or support the artist. So... Uh, what I recommended was obviously going directly to th- through the artist whenever you can, although more and more companies are catching on to that. And companies are not bad. You know, you want partners. Or I recommended Bandcamp because I would say the vast majority of your income goes directly, the, directly to artists. Am I wrong? No, that's right. You said 85%. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I have one more quick question about Bandcamp. What percentage, if, if you know... Um, what percentage of the, of people pay for music versus the free option? Boy, it's hard to say. I mean, there's there's it's a complete mix of uh, people using the site to promote, uh, just doing free downloads in exchange for email versus you know versus charging for something. I can tell you that uh, for people that are using Name Your Price with a with a minimum, it's typically about uh, about fifty percent over the asking price. Now that doesn't hold true if you, you know, make your album $30, right? But across the board, if you look at the averages, people end up spending, you know, about 50% over that number, cool. which uh, it's neat to see. It's like, you know, we, we, we see every day the sort of the sales feed as we work, and you often see, like, you know, what we call the, like, the, the mom sale, you know, because I don't know who this is, but they just spent, you know, $100 on a track and said, hey, this, this you know, meant a lot to me, so... So this is sort of a follow-up on the, the promise of the Internet for music. What, each of you, what is your sense in terms of, you know, are there artists, musicians, um, you know, audio documentary, any type of audio product who are making a living now who couldn't before the, the dawn of online music? Um, or is it, you know, has it been a net positive or negative overall? Well, I think in general, it's been a net negative. But, of course, there are lots of people who are making a living now who couldn't have before because it's uh, really inexpensive to make a quality record now. When you're having to pay three or $400 a day in a studio, it costs a ton of money to make a good record. Um, and it, costs, it was difficult to get distribution. Now you can make a really good record for very little, and distribution is nearly free. The issue, of course, is just getting people to take notice that you exist because there's, there's so much music out there. I think it's a total net positive because it's completely democratized recording and distribution. I, I just think it's so exciting that you can record a song and put it out worldwide tomorrow. I mean, the song has to be good, again, you know, for people to pay attention, but there's no more gatekeepers. There's, just, there's no more control. So that's, that's very freeing for, for all artists. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously in the same boat. It's definitely a net positive. At least every artist that I've dealt with and seen and worked with and grew with who are making, you know, who are succeeding in the industry without major labels or publishers or anything, um, it's, they would not have had this kind of career. They wouldn't have had a career at all 10 years ago. It wasn't possible before this era that we're in now. And so the kind of career that we have, sure, maybe there's not as much money overall in the industry the, the the overall revenue if you want to look at the macro numbers have gone down but all the independent it's just been spread out a little bit more and it's been you know we the independent artists um you know we're making more money than independent artists did 15 years ago and so if you want to look at those numbers it's gone way up and i really would love to factor in ethan's numbers and crowdfunding's numbers and master side sync revenue which has gone up over the past decade you know people can put up these charts of recorded music, but recorded music generates revenue in so many other ways. So I think that's something that people don't always factor in. Yeah, I also feel like sometimes there's a little too much emphasis on, uh, you know, artists making, they, how many artists are making a living. Whereas, you know, even, even though there are plenty of artists on Bandcamp for whom their revenues through our site are really an important part of how they do make a living. There are a ton of people for whom that isn't that isn't the the standard that they're trying to reach. If they if they are able to get their music out to an audience, be appreciated, and some of those people pay them for it, then it's may, not, maybe not necessarily enough to make rent or the things that you know you would say are making a living. They're thrilled anyway, mm-hmm. and that that hasn't been that hasn't always been possible, right? It's it's much easier now, right? So, I, and I right off of that point in this, um, we have to. I'm not making the majority of my income as an independent artist. I don't say most independent artists aren't making the majority of their income off of sales of music or streaming sales of music. You know, it's, it's the full picture that you really do have to look at. And so, you know, it's, it's touring, it's licensing, it's merch sales, it's crowdfunding, it's, you know, it's all of these things that go into um, how can you monetize uh, the creation of music. And I think that's more important that's the that's the more important question than how much can we get people to pay for a data file anybody else want to chime in on that yeah let me let me just jump in so as a lawyer i you know i have a lot of inflow and i have a lot of people i have a lot of clients i have a lot of people calling me up who are interested in legal services and i i see a lot of suffering out there um I think it was always the case. It's not easy making a living as a musician. And one of the reasons is more fun being a musician than it is being a lawyer, for example, having done both. I, it's, I can tell you that. Um, so there's just a real oversupply of talent, and there always has been. There probably always will be. And I think it's even more out of whack now because it's relatively inexpensive to make a good quality record. But um, I see a lot of people who can't make a living who are very good. Some of them are very good. Some of them just aren't good enough. And if you look at touring numbers, for example, and where most of the money's being generated, it's being generated by megastars who can charge $250 you know, for tickets, and most of them are my age. You know, It's not young, up-and-coming independent artists who are going out on the road and making a decent living. I think most independent artists are not making a decent living, and they do it because they love it, but I don't know what they're going to do 20 years from now. Uh, all of my young artists are making a decent living. And I also don't think it was so great back in the day. I think those superstars always make money. And I think about 
even like Brennan Benson on my roster. If anyone here knows his uh, first album, One Mississippi, it sounds like it was recorded on a four track in a bedroom. And when I asked Virgin uh, how unrecouped that album was, it was $800,000 unrecouped. I don't, I mean, I can imagine what was spent, you know, in 1996 or whatever. But now when he makes a record, he's making money on day one, dollar one, because he owns his own studio. So, you know, for me, the modern music industry is is really exciting and, and actually a pretty supportive place for artists. You know, Lyle Lovett said he's never made a dime on his recordings in his entire career. Lyle Lovett has sold millions of albums and he's never made a dime. So the, I wouldn't say that the record industry was so awesome back then. Sure, they did, a, you know, had a lot of awesome parties. But like, you know, if Lyle Lovett... Like, that's cool. But Lyle Lovett, he wasn't making anything from his, you know from his records and he had to go on the road and tour to make a living to do that. And so, you know, sure there was a lot more money for the labels and for the publishers and for the people that were, you could say, you know, exploiting their artists. But now I, there's a lot more artists who are actually making more money or at least they're able to succeed and survive and making more money directly than they were before. Look, I don't want to be an apologist for the you know, the old school <laughs> record company. It wasn't good back then. Yeah. It was a dream that a lot of big labels sold to artists. And, uh, you know, nine, there was like a 95% failure rate. So it was horrible back then. But I, I don't think it's really any better on a macro level now than it was then. Do you want to follow up on that? Yeah. The, I mean, it's, it, the reason we think it's better now is because the opportunity is there. No one is blocking the opportunity from the artist. So that's what's, what's really exciting. Uh, there's one thing you mentioned earlier that I, wanted, I don't want to let go without debate, which is that you said that there are no more gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would argue that you know, um, iTunes and Google with YouTube and Pandora, in a sense, serve as gatekeepers. Um, and you know, the news this morning that Twitter might make an offer for SoundCloud suggest that you know it will there'll be more of a social component and so someone with a lot of followers whether it be you know an individual or an artist or a music label will act as a gatekeeper of discovery for other people on that platform so i'd, I'd ask about like who are the gatekeepers now and does does you know if music becomes just another service on a social network like twitter or facebook or whatever does it, have we just swapped out the old keeper, gatekeepers for new well, let me clarify. When I'm talking about gatekeepers, I'm talking about creation, recording, and distribution. Um, what I think you're referring to are tastemakers. So that, that's always going to exist, and that's very important. And also, again, your art has to be great, but I'll let everyone else talk. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 to me, it's a much more democratic gate, gatekeeper that you have now, right? I mean, it's not uh, this is the music that's good enough to, for us to now make. It's that you know, we're, uh, we're Twitter and this is how, this is maybe the player that we're going to use from here on out, but anybody's music can be there. I mean, music has always been social. It, it, that's, I think it's just newer technologies are, are learning how to, um, you know, just expand that social component to what has been deeply embedded to music since the beginning of time. So, you know, I, I think the various services are going to change and, and uh, you know, sure, Twitter is banking on SoundCloud right now or that's what they're going to use. That's a preferred platform. That will be different in five years and, and these services are going to go all over the place. But I think the, the biggest thing to remember is that, yeah, it's, it's music is social and 
we can use the tools that we have now that are coming out in these new technologies um, to expand upon that that social component and artists can use them and to actually monetize that social component in more creative ways. Okay, thank you for that segue, which we did not rehearse, by the way. Um, (laughs) But since this is the Music Tech Summit, I wanted to ask everybody one final question, which is what technologies or services do you think right now are most exciting in terms of pushing the music industry forward, whether that means making the pie bigger or making sure artists get a bigger slice of it, what technologies or services that you guys use or see are you most excited about right now? You go down the line. I mean, my answer is a little boring because, again, it goes back to recording and distribution, and that hasn't really changed for me over the past few years. And this doesn't sound like something I'd usually support, but I am excited for... Well, I want net neutrality, of course, but I'm excited for some of the bigger partners to get it together where they can present a streaming platform to your average music consumer because I think that kind of bundling is very, very important. Once you put a streaming platform in front of people, they understand it, they get excited, and they get addicted to it. So that's something I'm I'm excited about. I'm I'm all about things making sense. Elliot? Oh, for me, it's definitely streaming. Just the fact that for a relatively small amount of money, I can listen to just about anything I want, anytime, anywhere. is just you know amazing. With just a dream I might have had when I was a kid. And do you think just to follow up on that? Do you do you think the main um, attraction right now to streaming is the discoverability rather than you know the entertainment of the music itself? Um, I, well, I'm, I can just speak for myself. For me, it's just the ubiquity that I can hear anything. Whether it's new, 40 years old, it's just extraordinary. And therefore, it's kind of both, because you're probably listening yeah. to something, and then it reminds you to listen to something else. Technology, are um, Well, I mentioned it before, but, but honestly, I, I think um, what uh, Patreon has done is, is really is, is completely revolutionizing the music industry, and it's in its, it's in its infancy right now. And it's something, it, I mean, I'm like... It's it's really exciting for for creators to be able to go directly to their fans. I mean, you know, Bandcamp started it, and I I love Bandcamp, and I've been on it since the beginning. But and it, it it's a way that we can go directly to our fans, and this is another way that I think. I mean, this is a service that I think really is going to just take it to a completely new level. And um, I'm not invested in Patreon at all. I just think it's awesome, um, and uh, it's yeah. I think I, that's one of my the new services I'm excited about. Yeah, I, I laughed uh, when Ari said that because it's basically, I mean, uh, my, my uh, bias obviously is towards any platform that uh, lets, lets fans support the artists they love. So I get excited when I see things like Patreon and, uh, and obviously what you know, we're working on and I want to see more of that. Okay, before I want to come back and let you guys say one more thing after questions, but I wanted to open up to the audience if anyone had any questions for any of the panelists or just in general. Um, Oh. Go ahead. Yeah, you first. Go ahead. Yeah, my, my question is to any, any, any of the panelists. Um, has anybody got any feedback on what it feels like as an, from an artist to know that their music is part of a company that you know, is worth 4 or $5 billion, but their share or the artist's share collectively represents a really small portion of it? Like, have you had that discussion? Uh, any feedback? Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> well, first, you know, it, 
you're talking about what it's worth, not necessarily what it's generated yet. So that's kind of reality versus projections. And yeah, Brendan called me one day after hearing on NPR, you know, hearing an, an artist complain, frankly. And I had to look the artist up and he signed his rights away in the 80s. And I ha- happen to have access to some information that shows that, you know, Brendan's album from 2005 alone makes more money in one month than this artist does all year. So sometimes people need to get bigger also. And Brendan's not the Rolling Stones by any means, but uh, I, that's my job to educate him. And, and when I did have that conversation with him, he, he understood it. Um, they've always felt, I mean, they feel terrible about it. And um, they've always felt terrible about it. And record deals have always been really rigged against the artist. And now they're even more rigged against the artist. The deals that people are making when they sign with big labels now are just appalling. I mean, I have a hard time controlling my fury sometime when I see some of the, the crap that comes in, you know, in contracts. They're just awful. So um, the idea of selling tens or even hundred thousands of records and finding that you're $800,000 unrecouped is crazy, you know? This question is, I guess, for anyone on the panel who would like to tackle it. Um, what do you think about DRM being introduced into HTML5? What do you think are the implications um, or the impact it might have on the music industry? No one's really talked about that. It's more of what it's going to do to audio. And Anyway, any thoughts? I'm very open source all the way, so I just don't really see... The, when you come up with a technology like that, someone's going to circumvent it almost immediately, so... I, I'm all about being open source. Can you, can you explain what that means? What do you mean DRM being introduced into HTML5? I don't um, know about this. So Sorry. Tim Berners-Lee was talking about it, and he's actually for it, but um, it's digital restrict, um, restriction management. and so, Like what was in the iTunes files early on in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, um, and it was a big part of Flash, but never an HTML5, and now it's the capability is being introduced to HTML5, if that makes sense. Or it's supported by HTML. Ethan, this I, one's I'll, totally. All the, fi- all, the, all the files on Bandcamp are DRM-free. I mean, that yeah. was not something we ever even considered. Yeah. And okay. won't. All right. I think, st- I think streaming is wonderful. I'm an independent artist. Uh, that being said, um, the content... Uh, that is provided is from the artist. These companies are are built on the content of artists. Do you think that uh, revenue for the artist will be higher in the future? Right now, a stream is point. So it sounds like the question is: Does this get reversed? Does revenue suddenly start going up again for the? You know, right. and um, do you think... Yeah, but if it, only 10 times the number exactly. of people joined, it would be yeah. point zero zero zero. <laughs> it takes a lo- It takes a long time for One that to zero. add up. So it's I guess so my, early, though, my right question now. is, do you think that um, that percentage will go up for the artist? Or I, could? It's going to go back to users. The more we populate it and educate it, the more it can go up for everyone. The more money there is to play with. Yeah, I, I think it's it just 
I mean, everyone likes to talk about what Spotify because they're you know the biggest and what they pay per stream. But it's really not about what they're paying per stream today. It's what artists are going to be able to generate from it in five years from now when, when the masses have adopted it or whatever streaming service it is, Beats, RDO, Rhapsody, whatever. Um, I think, yes, they're all, you know, people have been complaining about how low it is today. It's, it's just over a half a penny per stream, sure. But, you know, it's so early right now. There's only, you know, a fraction of the amount of people that have subscribed to it than, that who are going to eventually. And so those numbers will it, absolutely go up. I thought, you know, is it absolutely inevitable that it becomes mass, uh, that there is mass adoption? I mean, this is one of the things that I thought was brought up in, you know, the article you mentioned is that the price right now is double what people spend on average. And it's a complete shift in mindset for how people, you know, have traditionally bought music. And, you know, I think that uh, it's not necessarily a done deal that it's going to be more than... Uh, you know, the, the kind of uh, adoption rates that you're seeing today. I mean, it's going to be a little bit more, but it has to be a lot more, doesn't it? Yeah, just to clarify about the article, um, you know, some people have done research and said that the average American per year spends somewhere between 45 and $65 a year on music, historically. And yet, if you multiply 12 times $10 a month, you know, what the streaming services are asking for is $120. And does that not automatically create a smaller subset of music buyers simply by the cost. And so, you know, if that's the case, then the number doesn't automatically go up. And it could be a mistake. It could be overpriced. I mean, there's an argument to be made for that, I think. Yeah, and I think getting back to what what you mentioned, you know, I think it's it's pretty... There are a lot of artists who are, I think, rightfully frustrated because, you know, while there's this wait for hopefully things to get bigger and the revenue to become more meaningful to a greater number of artists, there's extreme wealth generation amongst a very small group of people you know that are and this in some ways is the history of the internet right it's youtube content you know selling for 1.2 billion dollars and content creators not making anything i mean i think it is inevitable it's it's being proved in in europe it's uh, europe has just overtaken itunes for sales uh sweden and Norway, they're making, um, I think it's like 95% of the people who consume music there is, is through streaming platforms. So I absolutely 100% do think that streaming is inevitable and that's, the, that's where we're moving. It's already caught on in Europe. People are paying monthly for it in Europe. I think it's, it's totally going to take over here. Yeah. And there's a reason that Apple is spending $3.2 billion to buy Beats. You know, they see it. They see their revenues of iTunes sales probably having peaked already. And maybe about to crash. So, I, you know, it seems like it's the future. Streaming, I mean, all of us have listened to our favorite albums and songs over and over and over countless times. Streaming is revolutionary because it is the first format in the evolution of music where, in my roster's case, artists, but rights holders get paid every single time you listen to it. So it sucks that it's point zero zero one or whatever, but every time forever, you know, the rights holder is going to get paid. So that's pretty cool. Um, okay, my question is sort of on the same subject, but um, would we do better if instead of focusing on our fractions of a penny, we actually looked at the data that we can get from streaming and our ability to monetize that like as an artist for ourselves? Um, is that not just more valuable? Like, I, just, I don't know if there is that much money in streaming for the artists or if there ever will be, but we can monetize it in another way. I think that's a great point, and I, there are ways... Um, there, uh, Spotify has teamed up with uh, 
big who is that out of new york they were out of denver um next big sound, what, next big sound thank you um to show you all of that data so actually as an independent artist you can um if you go to spotify artists and you can um you know log in and create an account and you can see the next big sound data of where uh, who is streaming you most from around the world, which cities even, which countries. And they're, they're creating that data, which, yes, I think is extremely important. I think that's like where we need to look. And actually, I just talked to, I don't know if this is public, but I talked to the Pandora guy today. And they were saying that eventually artists are going to be able to uh, log into Pandora and get those that kind of information too. Where, who is streaming them the most? Who is creating those pictures? So the data is important for the artists to get, and I think we're we're going to do this. These companies, I mean, I've, I've spoken to Da Wallach at Spotify, who is he created SpotifyArtist.com. He is the artist advocate. He's an artist himself, and he is really um, on the side of artists and he's like i want to do whatever i can possibly do to make this the best service for artists and do whatever we can do and so that's why you know they're helping them with the data and i think it's just going to move towards that point it's so early right now they you know these things are just happening but yeah it's a absolutely great point they are and and you should ask and you should ask your rights holder and you should ask directly they're also trying to be amazingly for a tech company uh mindful about privacy you know, so they definitely want to give you heat maps. They definitely want people buying tickets, you know, so it, it's definitely in the works. I think there's one in the back of the room earlier. Uh, yes. Um, my question is, uh, I've actually saw one of the record execs complaining about the staggered release uh, on uh, the streaming services. And uh, specifically, the bigger album sales that have come out over the past few years have been those who have done that, like Adele, Taylor Swift and Rihanna who have not made their albums available initially on Spotify until maybe, uh, you know, six months to a year later. So, of course, with the comparison of Hollywood and Netflix, then, you know, movies don't come out on Netflix the same day as the theater. So I guess my question is, even though some of those albums that have done have been that so successful, and with the labels kind of saying that it's not a good idea to do a stagger release, just how do you all feel about that? Do you all think that all albums should just be available on Spotify immediately, or is a stagger release better for uh, artists? It totally depends on a case-by-case basis, but there was an interesting example about Coldplay's new album where they meant to leave it off all streaming platforms, but it accidentally was on Deezer, which is a big streaming platform in France, and the album went to number one in France where it didn't necessarily go to number one in, in neighboring countries. So it, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough question to answer because you know we customize everything to each artist. I think you just need to look at your strategy and, and be really, you know, smart about that well in, in the case of mumford and sons uh newest record i think was from last year uh they released it on when there was a big talk about staggering or windowing um they released it on spot of or all streaming services and on itunes in the same day and it was number one on it was the highest selling record um to date that year uh selling record and also was number one on on spotify and i think in this first week it got like eight million uh plays on on spotify and then it was like a half a million downloads um that that week on iTunes, um, and so it, it is a case by case basis. But I, I I would always encourage people to put it on Spotify and iTunes at the same time. I think it depends on where you want to point your fans to. Like if you want to do a big premiere with someone, be it a media outlet or a streaming platform, you know, and point your fans there, that's cool. I just really like to make music available in all places that it can be available, so we don't miss a single fan. But that's something to talk about, you know, with your team, what strategy makes the most sense for your release. So we're at 6 o'clock, but I see it may be time for one or two more questions. And- Hi. Um, I just had one. Um, first of all, thank you all so much for doing this. It's really been fabulous, and I love hearing all the different perspectives. So thank you. Sure. Um, 
this actually is a question more specifically for Ethan, but but really I think everybody can chime in. Um, my question is sort of if if there is money in streaming and if streaming is a, a genuinely monetizable platform, even if it's small, um, do you all anticipate all streaming platforms going the route of paying their artists? Like, for example, I, I love Bandcamp. I've, I've used it for maybe four years. <laughs> but there is something to be said for the fact that they don't pay for streaming. They don't pay artists for streaming services. And so I'm wondering then, if this is a possible route, do you all see um, streaming being monetized across the board? And why or why not? Does that make sense? Do, stream, do I see streaming being monetized on some of these other streaming platforms? Like... Uh, not just uh, Spotify or, okay, but not you're not just talking about the um, the payments from basically sharing subscriber revenue, but you're talking about maybe uh, linking to merch. Is that the question? I'm, I guess I'm kind of wondering where outside of of the subscriber platform, where yeah. the money for streaming comes from, even to pay artists initially. You see what I mean? Well, um, today, right, it comes from advertising and from the subscription revenue. And, uh, yeah, I mean, is the, so your question is, like, with SoundCloud, for example, mm-hmm. do, are they going to start paying for streaming? Are they paying the artists for the streams? And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, today, today uh, the streaming on Bandcamp is there to support the sale of the music, mm-hmm. right? And we've never wanted to become an advertising platform. Just that's my personal bias against doing that right so that's uh yeah that's just um so that's never been never been really a goal for the business it's always been been around you know actually those direct sales to the fans so i don't know i mean uh Anybody I would never have? hold, not that you are, but I would never hold that against you. You know, okay. I hold it against uh, SoundCloud a little bit because a lot of times the artists want to put their music there and they should. There's a community, but, you know, the artist isn't seeing any money there. But um, I think what's worked for Ethan and Bandcamp mm-hmm. is that it's sleek and makes sense and is straightforward. So ads wouldn't really fit into that. And mm-hmm. by not being greedy, not that, you know, to say ads are always greedy. Uh, it's worked. It's been seventy million dollars. That's been three million a month. Eighty-five percent for artists. I now know. So, cool. I think we have time for okay. uh, one more. One more question. I think. Hi. Um, uh, I have a question. So you 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 talked about the fact that it was a great time for musicians and for creators because you know like you can make a, a nice sounding album for uh, pretty cheap, but uh, that creates the problem of uh, much more content than there used to be. And like potentially, people still have like the same the, the same amount of time in their life for music. So I think that I think there's a a, a new problem of curation now, right? Because the big issue is how do you get your stuff uh, noticed out there. So I'm just wondering uh, from that, uh, you know, new need for curation, uh, curation. Like, do you see any service that's promising uh, that's promising, or how do you think we? This problem is going to be solved if it's you know if it will be solved. I think all. curation is a huge. Um, it, it's absolutely I think more important now than ever, and I think Spotify has done um, a uh, a great job with their uh, their playlists and their their special curated playlists. And I know uh, Beats, I guess, has, has done this also. Um, but there, I think, uh, I mean, that's how Lord 
shot up to her prominence. She was featured on on Sean Parker's uh, hipster whatever whatever uh, playlist on Spotify, and because he featured her on his playlist that had a bunch of subscribers and people turned to Sean Parker for uh, his curation and they liked that song. They started sharing that song and then it shot up to the top 10. Um, you know, this, this nobody from New Zealand shot up the top 10 on Spotify and then everyone started taking notice. And so I think curation is huge and it's just, it's more important now than ever because of the, the quantity. Anybody else final thoughts? Really? I want to thank everybody for listening and coming and thank the panelists for their insights. Thank you. And with that, time for the party. Thank you all for coming. We couldn't do it without you. Really appreciate it. Great panel.